Romans 8, 18 to 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who has, have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You may sit down. Well, turn with me to your Bibles. And you actually need your Bible because it has all the words in it. So let me actually see. Could you hold up, you know, let me see if you've actually got by. Everyone's got a Bible. If you don't have the Bible in front of you, then the verses I'm preaching on will not be there. So that's really going to help. So you'll need the Bible. Good. Glad we sorted that out. It's good to be back with you uh, this week. And um, I've been away just last week preparing for some conferences coming up. I'm down at Alistair Begg's conference. Uh, I had three talks to prepare for that. And there's a workshop on biblical exposition coming up at Cottage Church in the spring. Simeon Trust preparing for that too. If you are someone who wants to learn how to preach, how to teach the Bible, let me encourage you to sign up for that. Well, as I say, we're looking at Romans chapter 8 and particularly verses 26 and 27. Let us, let us pray as we begin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and I pray now that you would speak through that. I ask for the work of your Holy Spirit. Would you be honored And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we had uh, the whole passage read out uh, by um, uh, Pastor Channing because I wanted you to get the sense that this passage is about suffering and how do we respond to suffering. In a sense, uh, Paul is responding to a common objection to Christianity. So someone says, 
you know, okay, Paul, I've been listening to what you have been preaching. Uh, you make Christianity sound great. You use, use, uh, use all these inspiring uh, religious words. Uh, but what happens when something, something is going on in contemporary society? What happens when something is going on in my own life when I simply am left speechless? It's beyond words. I just don't know what to say about it. It's, it's so challenging. Perhaps the most famous modern exposition of this um, suffering objection to Christianity is a, a painting, a piece of modern art. Uh, Edward Munch, Edvard Munch, a Norwegian painter, produced four versions of it. Um, one sold in under 12 minutes in 2012 for $120 million. Under 12 minutes, $120 million. It's called The Scream. Many of you would have seen it. There's a man, uh, wide-mouthed, open, standing on a bridge, holding his head, and wordlessly screaming. Uh, The background is uh, Monk's sister died when he was quite young. And uh, she was sick in bed and managed to make her way to a chair and then died in the chair. And Monk kept that chair throughout his life. And the scream, many think, was about that sense that he had. Paul was situating his conversation here in this context that we all feel, which is, okay, Christianity sounds great, but what about when things don't go so well? What about the suffering in this world? And basically, there are two kinds of approaches to the situation today. One is optimism. I'm just going to look on the bright side of life. When God shuts a door, he opens a window. The other is pessimism. On the optimistic side, some people advocate what Martin Luther called theologies of glory. They're always telling you life is great. Pessimistic side, other people are glasses half empty people and they're cynical and everything is awful and life is just a fill in the blank and then you die. What about Christianity? Well, Christianity is neither of those. It's neither unrealistically optimistic nor negatively pessimistic. It's actually power, grace. Paul's talking about that here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There is power, spiritual power. It's the same word um, that was used for uh, Moses when um, he had so much of a burden in his life. He just didn't know what to do. There's so many challenges, and there was a, a group of people who came together who would bear the burden with him. Same word. Happened again in Exodus. They will bear the burden with you. It's this idea of coming alongside and enabling and empowering. One psalm uses the word like this. So that my hand shall be established with him. My arm shall also strengthen him. It's this idea, not not sort of weak help, you know, I need some help, I'm such a needy person. No, empowering for someone like Moses. You find the same idea when uh, Jesus was uh, praying and uh, he was saying, not my will, but your will be done. He's struggling with, uh, in his humanity with saying, look, I want to do your will, Lord. And uh, he's wrestling with that. And an angel comes along 
and strengthens him. Same idea. The disciples, Jesus says about them, they fall asleep when they're trying to pray. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They're, they're not able, they need this kind of spiritual power. Where does it come from? And Paul says it comes through prayer. And prayer is something that we find hard. Everyone does. And everyone has uh, different approaches to prayer, uh, different uh, personal approaches. Prayer is rarely easy. And yet Paul is saying there is spiritual power in prayer. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and that help comes through prayer in two ways. First is groaning, verse 26. And the second is searching, verse 27. Both are about prayer and both about how the Spirit gives us power to help us through prayer. So verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How? Where does this bearing the burden come from? Well, Paul says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, this, this groaning, uh, Paul's been talking a lot about groaning. Um, you guys still there? Is this kind of interesting? I hope it is. Yeah, yeah good. You are still there. Good. It always encourages a pastor to occasionally have a little response. It's good. You can, by the way, you can say amen at college church every now and then. It's all right. Uh, sometimes people come up and they say, you know, pastor, when you were preaching like that, I almost felt like saying amen. It's like, and then I decided not to. It's like, well, you know, just unleash some enthusiasm, you know. <laughs> like, I know it's like Wheaton College is away and there are a whole bunch of people away, but this is God's word. Let's get into it. I'm probably preaching to myself, so there we go. How? Well, for this groaning. He's talking about groaning a whole bunch of times. Verse 22, the creation groans. Verse 23, we groan. And now the Spirit groans, but in a particular kind of way. It's too deep for words, or literally, it is wordless. So the idea here is that it's without words. There are no words to the Spirit's groaning. So, again, Edvard Munch, this painting of the scream, he said, before he painted it, this is what he said, I felt a vast, infinite scream throughout nature. I met with someone the other week who comes from a strong home and family, and they were telling me, despite all that, they just feel as if things are not going right in their life. So how, how given that God is sovereign, given that he knows us, he loves us, he's arranging all things together for the good of those who love them, how, how, is that actually, how can I actually believe that? How do I have power to accept that? This isn't just, you know, I ate too much pizza last night, or I've been watching too many Republican debates, and I think I'm going to go mad if... I, if I have to listen to another personal attack from someone on a, a, as, as a presidential candidate, you know, this, this, is, this is the deep, vast mysteriousness of life. These two verses are some of the strangest parts of the Bible. And they're strange because we sense that life is a little mysterious. 
the Hubble telescope has recently spotted the most decent object ever seen in the known universe, a galaxy that scientists estimate is 13.4 billion light years away. And here we are living in Wheaton, a nearly infinitesimally tiny, small little group of people living on a, a relatively speaking, minuscule globe in a vast expanse beyond mental imagination, and you have hopes and dreams for your life, and how on earth are they going to come true in the context of this universe? Don't you groan? Is this just me? I mean, I find this encouraging because what Paul is saying is God himself is groaning with you. Why? Well, because he's groaning for you. It's an intercessory groaning. He's actually carrying your pain. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. He, he's praying, saying, not my will, but yours be done. If you look at how this works out, the Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, same word, this weak word. He says to the disciples, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. And Jesus there prays through that situation to bear the burdens of the sins of the world because of the power of the spirit in him. He is God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, fully God, fully man. And now Jesus is saying, because he has sent his Holy Spirit, you have that spirit within you. So when you're faced with things, you're saying, that's not my will. I don't understand that. I cannot keep going that way. The spirit within you is now willing. He's praying for you, with you. Like this, this makes prayer just so much more exciting. Look, I love the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say it later in the service. Jesus tells us to pray like this. this we, we pray it in our services. There's nothing wrong and a lot right with reciting the Lord's Prayer. But prayer is more than simply saying prayers. It's an encounter with the living God. He's real. What Paul's saying here, there is a, there's a, when you face the most difficult things, your job isn't going right, or you're just thinking about the meaning of life. You've read too many existential philosophers this week. You're going, what is this all about? What does this all mean? What he's saying is the spirit within you is bearing that pain. It's, it's when you're speechless. There's a, there's a speechless groan from the spirit with you and for you. So Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. This isn't just saying prayers. There's help, there's power in this prayer. Uh, Jacob wrestled with God and overcome. Overcame. There's, There's There's power that comes through this prayer, this wrestling. I remember one time when I was praying about a particular situation, I didn't know what was going on in the church at the time. I had no reason, but I sensed the Spirit, as it were, urging me to keep praying and bearing that prayer. Years later, I found out why I needed to to pray until I prayed, as the Puritans used to say. You keep praying until until you've, you've really prayed. 
Here's, an, here's, a, uh, Charles, here's another illustration from preaching. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, when he was a young preacher, they had these big chairs at the back, and his grandfather used to sit behind him, and he would whisper behind Charles Spurgeon. So there's Spurgeon preaching, and Spurgeon would get to a point in the sermon when he's talking about Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, the atoning work of Christ on the cross, and Spurgeon's grandfather behind him would be saying, that's it, Charles. Say that again. Talk about the cross again. That's it, Charles. Here's the spirit within you as you're praying, as it were, whispering, as it were, wordlessly. Keep praying. That's it. I'm praying with you. I'm praying for you. Keep praying. You say, well, why, why does Paul, Paul why, why, why does God care about prayer anyway? Isn't it true that God is sovereign and he's in charge of everything? Doesn't, you know, this is college church. Don't you believe that God knows the end from the beginning? Yes, we do. Don't you believe that God is sovereign over absolutely everything and not a sparrow falls to the ground, but that he knows it and has already determined it? Yes, I believe that. So why pray? I'll tell you why I pray. Because unlike Muslims and unlike Islam, God is in his essential nature, relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One, yes, but three in one. Constantly loving. And when we pray, God is a relational God. The Spirit groaning for us. As it were, we are caught up into his relational communication with us. It's not just, you know, say a few, say a few Hail Marys. Forgive me if you're from a Roman Catholic background, you'll understand. It's not just, you know, do your little things and, uh, and clutch a few beads. It's not a formula. It's not magic. He's a person. He wants to hear from you. He wants you involved in his work. And prayer? Prayer is the way that power comes into your life. He's groaning for you. He's alongside you. He's with you. So that's first. Verse 26. Groaning. Bearing. Verse 27. Now, what about the will of God, though? How do we know what the right thing is to pray? So here now is this searching. Look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? According to the will of God. So there you are, you're saying, how on earth do I know what to pray for? I mean, isn't it true that Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith, that is, if you can trust and know what is my will and pray in faith according to that will? Whatever you ask for, Jesus says, in my name. That is, when when Jesus says, pray in my name, he doesn't just mean say in Jesus' name, though we often do, and that's a good thing to say. What he means is, your prayers are in accord with the character of Jesus, represented by my name. That's why John, uh, the Apostle John, puts it like this in his first letter. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, 
according to his will, very similar phrases here, according to his will, he hears us. So it's faith in his name, according to his will, that is praying according to what God wants and trusting that. Well, how do we know? How do we know that we are praying according to the will of God? really does matter. Elijah, uh, James talks about Elijah as a man like us who prayed that it would not rain for three years and it didn't rain and then prayed again for it to rain and it did. I've often thought like praying that prayer when I was growing up in England and wonder, wonder whether it would work, whether the rain would stop for three years, let alone three days. But in the story of Elijah, what you sense is, when you read that story, is that God had promised him, he had already spoken to Elijah, Elijah therefore listening to God's word, therefore knowing God's will, prays confidently. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. Get the same pattern in Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel, he's, he's what, what's going on, Lord? Here we are in exile. All your people have been sent to Babylon. There's all this suffering that's gone on. Your people have been raped and the country's been pillaged and the temple's been torn down. And how, how do I understand how your sovereign will fits in with this reality? How do I pray about this? He's reading the Bible. He come, comes across Jeremiah. He he realizes that God has promised that his people would go into exile and then he would bring them back and the time for them coming back has now arrived. And so Daniel, full of confidence, then prays according to God's will. So here's what Paul is saying. The one who searches hearts, who's that? Well, that's God. God knows your heart through and through. That's a scary thought, but it's here intended to be a comforting thought because the one who searches hearts discerns the mind of the Spirit within us. We're praying with the Spirit, praying alongside him, saying, yeah, pray more like that. Pray more like that. Keep going. He knows our hearts. He discerns the mind of the Spirit within us. Those of us who are followers of Jesus have the Spirit within us. According to the will of God. In other words, here's the great secret of prayer. It's been revealed in the will of God, which is revealed in the word of God. The great secret of prayer is a sense there is no secret. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he taught them. So prayer according to the word of God is prayer according to the will of God. And such prayer is powerful and effective. So the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying here, is constantly encouraging us to love God's word. How do you know whether the Holy Spirit is at work in an individual, whether they love God's word increasingly? For the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and the word of God is where the will of God is revealed. Let me put it like this. The Spirit and the word are as connected as breath is to speech. Therefore, the greatest prayers, the greatest prayer warriors, if you know that phrase, the greatest prayer warriors tend to be the greatest Bible readers. Why? 
because they know that if they pray according to the will of God, then they can have confidence their prayers will be answered. And how do they know the will of God? They know the will of God by understanding, reading, and inwardly partaking in, being transformed by the truth of the Bible. So effective prayer and listening to the Bible being read, it goes together because prayer, effective prayer, is reliant on praying according to God's will. And God's will is revealed in God's word by God's spirit. And the first time I really realized this, I remember where I was, I was sitting and listening to a preacher. He's, he's very well known for his ability to be able to preach the Old Testament in particular. And this preacher was talking about how Moses was appealing to God to save his people. And he made simply this point that when Moses said, it is your people, your name, and your honor that is at stake, Moses was understanding what God had already revealed to him, that the redemption of Israel was all intended to give God honor, to praise the name of God. And so then when Moses, as it were, knelt before God and said, look, Lord, don't turn your back on your people. Here's why. Because it's your name. It's your honor. It's your glory that is at stake. Or as Jesus put it, you know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And therefore, we get on our knees about the churches around us and say, Lord, this you have promised. Look, the budget, the situation in our culture today, I'll tell you what will not prevail against God's church. You ready? The gates of hell. And you're worried about who's going to become president? Okay, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Will not. How do I know that? Jesus said it. So then I can get on my knees for God and say, Look, Lord, this is your glory. This is your name. Would you be honored? It's not about us. It's about him. Now that prayer is effective and powerful. Now there's a lot of extra subtleties here that I don't have time to get into. You know, what about when you're dealing with something that is not particularly precisely revealed in God's word? Is there a subjective element to this praying in the spirit? Yeah, I think there is. I think there are times when God gives us an intuitive sense that this really is God's will. We have to be very careful with that, that we don't impute to that the same certainty that we have of what is clearly revealed in God's word. But at the same time, we have to be careful to say that God doesn't sometimes give us this intuition that this is what he's doing, but we hold it lightly and tentatively. You, know, you don't go up to someone and say, look, you know, God has told me that such and such is true. Well, often, frankly, that phrase, what God has told me, is sort of hmm, cover for, you know, what God wants is really what I want, right? So we have to be very careful with that. But at the same time, yeah, there are intuitions that God gives us by the Holy Spirit. But we don't hold them with the same confidence that we hold what God has revealed in his word. 
There's this movement today to rediscover prayer, rightly. But prayer and the word go together. For if our prayer is to be effective, it must be according to God's will. And to know what God's will is, we've got to be in, have our noses in the Bible. That's how we know what God's will is. According to your glory, your name, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, we have confidence. We have power. There's this wordless encouragement. Yeah, keep on praying. And through God's word, there is this revelation of God's will. And so we pray with confidence that our prayers would be answered, powerful and effective. Well, here's the point of the sermon. Let me leave you with a simple uh, question slash encouragement slash challenge. Would you set aside half an hour this afternoon To pray according to what God has said in His Word. Uh, Lord, you promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Lord, would you then work powerfully in our churches across this country and across the world? Would you pray for God's kingdom to come? We don't know when Jesus will return. We know it will be good. Would you pray that his word will not return to him empty? The Bible says that God's word is living and active, powerful. Lord, you say that your word is like a seed... And whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, it grows like a seed. You say that your word will not return to you empty, but will fulfill what you have purposed for it to do. Would you, therefore, through your word, build your kingdom? Would you pray that God's name would be honored? That the name of God, the name of Jesus, would be held as precious, beautiful, Would you take half an hour this afternoon to pray according to what God says in his word? Well, let's start that by praying now. We uh, survey the wondrous cross. Love so amazing, so divine. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and hearts to believe, minds to understand,
your word. Would you give us a zeal and enthusiasm for prayer in this church? And in our own lives. We take a moment to pray for some of those who are especially close to us. Perhaps a child who doesn't yet know Jesus. Or a parent who is struggling. or a colleague at work. Who doesn't yet know Jesus? Although we pray that your kingdom would come your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name.